Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey everyone, welcome to the Raw AFL Podcast. My name is Ryan Buckland, I'm a writer at theraw.com.au and joining me fresh from what ended up being an excellent game but perhaps not in the way that he would have liked, uh, Cameron Rose. Cam, how are you? Yeah, not too bad. Uh, just come uh, back from the G, got home about 10 minutes ago uh, from the MCG where the Tigers obviously went down by four points after... I don't know if we would say control much of the day. They certainly put the score on the board uh, better than the Cats, who were obviously very inaccurate. But um, whether you could say they outplayed Geelong, probably not, particularly given how dominant the Cats were in the last quarter. I mean, I don't know what the percentages are, but that had to have been 80 85% played in Geelong's half. Yeah, I, I can imagine so. And yeah, the scoreworm here, I mean, it was 40-odd points that the Tigers were up at three-quarter time. So uh, stirring comeback for for the Cats to uh, to get home from there. So what are your feelings as a, a Richmond fan af- after a game like that? Yeah, to be honest, I mean, I think a lot of Richmond fans might be the same as him. We sort of probably checked out of the season, um, you know, a, a few months ago in some cases, but, uh, <laughs> you know, a while back. So, and look, I was there uh, today with uh, the, the missus who's Geelong and then our, and our two kids who are two and four. So the, yep. our daughter is Geelong and my son is obviously uh, Richmond. And, uh, uh-huh. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, going to the footy with them, you sort of got your hands full a little bit, so you're not exactly absorbing the game. But I really was praying, because uh, I actually haven't been to the footy with my missus since uh, Richmond Geelong in 2007. Oh, uh, wow. Round six, which is when, you know, the Cats won by 130-something points, <laughs> maybe more. Uh, no, I think it was one, was it one? Yeah, 130-something, and... yeah. And we hadn't been to the game since. And I'm sitting there going, please, you know, this is going to be payback. This, uh, you know, this will have been worth the wait. And, yeah, uh, yeah. No, in the end, she Yeah, anyway, so, but look, I thought our pressure was enormous, uh, particularly mm. in the first uh, half and, and even in the third quarter, actually. And, and then maybe that took its toll because it dropped right away uh, in the last quarter. Yeah, absolutely. And you have a look at, like you say, the territory battle here. Uh, Richmond had 39 inside 50s to Geelong's 66. Mm. Um, so that that's normally, you know, you would be expecting Geelong to win that by 10 goals at least. Um, and yeah, you, you look 32 scoring shots to 18 in the favour of the Cats. So yeah, I, I think that, uh, like you say, that they managed to put a score on the board. Um, it, it was always, I think, going to be a bit of an uphill battle. Um, these things tend to regress to the mean, to use a technical term there. So you can only kick really badly for so long and then it uh, it does come back and, and catch up. So, yeah. And I think um, Geelong also, I mean, just uh, I remember looking at the stats actually at three-quarter time and I think the Tigers had 20 or 30 more disposals. And I'm looking at it now and Geelong ended up with 20 more disposals. So yeah. the Cats must have, you know, they must have had the ball 40 or 50 more times uh, in the last term. And I'm thinking a lot of that would have been uncontested possession because obviously Richmond controlled the ball in the first three quarters. Um, and so, yeah, that was basically the tail of the tape. And even the inside 50s, I, I don't know what it was at three-quarter time, but 
If it ended up being 66-39, it wouldn't surprise me if it was, you know, 35 to Richmond at three-quarter time and, and maybe, you know, 45 to Geelong. It wouldn't surprise me if they won at 20-4 to four in the last quarter or something. It was that, That's how much the ball was in their forward line. Yeah, I mean, in the last quarter here, just got it up now. So it was seven to Richmond and 19 uh, yeah, to Geelong. So plus 12 and a quarter, which is, yeah. Which, well, that, that's still quite a, a large number. It wasn't mm. the largest differential on the day. It was actually the second quarter. Um, yeah, okay. It was, uh, was Richmond seven, Geelong 20. So. Well, I was down the end that the Tigers were kicking in the last quarter, and I just can't believe that it got in seven times. I really can't. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> maybe uh, there was one time where it sort of went in and out a, a few times. Because, yeah, definitely the time battle. But, uh, look, Geelong, from their perspective, look, we know that this is what they do. I mean, they just do not show up against these bottom sides. It's yeah. just, it's it's now, it's getting beyond a joke. Like, I think I sort of wrote an article about it halfway through the year saying, I wouldn't worry too much, Cats fans, because, you know, yes, you keep doing this, but you keep winning uh, against the, the better sides. But yeah. they really need to put this to bed. I mean, um yeah, it's because right now, I mean, Melbourne in in the in the last round becomes a huge danger game for them. Given oh, absolutely, the, the D's beat them there last year. The D's are obviously flying. Um, yeah, it's it's going to be a really uh, really interesting match. Yeah, and the D's potentially playing for a finals berth. Yes. Yeah, um, so so yeah, that uh, that could be could be fascinating when we get to that. And uh, just before we leave this game, I thought uh, worth commenting. I mean, I only watched the last probably last half of the last quarter of this one, uh, but did catch. Uh, the final 20-odd seconds of play and uh, just have to put on the record how amazing it would have been if Jack Rewalt had actually oh. taken that mark and gone back <laughs> yeah. and kicked the goal in his 200th game to to save it for the Tigers. I mean, that just would have been uh, sort of all-time yes. Richmond moment type stuff. Well, that that was the pocket I was watching from. So I was on level four. And uh, and so he, he, from my angle, I mean, it looked like he had a piece of it. Not, oh, certainly, not, yeah. not, certainly not enough to pay it. But yeah, it looked like uh, he wasn't far away. No, no, it was uh, it was pretty phenomenal. And um, I think we, we had uh, a number of games this weekend that had similar moments towards uh, towards the mm. end of play. I mean, uh, yeah. starting with starting with Friday night, um, you had the Dogs getting up over Collingwood by three points. Um, Collingwood had all the play in the last couple of minutes, including, uh, I think, a, one of those, again, memorable plays from Adam Trelaw along oh, the boundary yeah. line where, uh, you know, he gets around three players, uh, release handball when he's kind of lateral to the ground um mm. it was it was pretty incredible and um you know collingwood fans thinking that steel side bottom probably deserved a bit of a free kick in uh in that final play but uh yeah it was a an excellent game and i think really um i think it proved that under the right conditions the dogs still do know how to score it's not a it's not mm. something that obviously they've been finding very easy lately but um, have managed to to almost put up 100 points here. And also that I think it re- reaffirmed that Collingwood are going in the right direction. I mean, what were your takeaways from that one? Yeah, I mean, that um, that entire, that Trelaw play, actually, like it started at, at half-back and, and mm. basically all leading up to that, they sort of moved it forward and then across the ground to end up with Trelaw on the wing and, and they kept going. And, and there were, were barely any clean possessions in it. It was just the Pies players as a force of will just trying to get the ball forward. So it certainly showed that there was uh, they were leaving everything uh, out there. And, um, yeah, look, obviously Darcy Moore is, is, was the big takeaway. I mean, he's obviously had some, uh, some, some big-ish sort of games in his past uh, and, He's really seems to have come of age these last few weeks, I think. So that's exciting for Pies fans. Um, the Bonds, obviously, I mean, just fantastic. <laughs> yep. Doesn't Brownlow someday. Um, but again, I guess when you look at the Dogs talking about that score, you know, Robat kicks two goals, Cordy pops up for a couple of goals. Um, 
uh, Lin Jong kicks a couple of goals. So it was very much a manufactured score for them. Yeah. Now, yeah, so now whether that's going to be as easy to manufacture in the finals is probably, you know, we suspect that it won't be. But, um, yeah, but I'm with you. I still think the gap between, you know, Collingwood's worst from early in the season versus their best is still too big, even notwithstanding their injuries. So I think that's something that Buckley is going to have to tidy up. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, um, I mean, they're, they're a team full of, of young talent, and I think you are going to see that from time to time that they do drop off. Um, Collingwood's biggest issue, I think, is really – it's been their defense all year, and it, it starts in the midfield, but it, it really does end with uh, the back six. I mean, their yeah. back six on the on Friday night was – Three guys with a combined 53 games experience. Nathan Brown, Jeremy Howe. Uh, I mean, not not guys that you're thinking are, I guess, particularly solid as back six players on their own right. And um, I, I, that would have played a role in the Dogs being able to manufacture almost that 100-point scoreline. But, um, yeah, really, to me, the way that, that Collingwood attack the game, it's, it's really become their brand, that they're tenacious and they're hard at the ball um, and they, they do just do whatever they can to move the ball forward. Now... That's going to get you seven or eight wins a year. Um, but what they really do need to do is uh, improve their play on the outside and, and get the ball into the hands of the good users more frequently. And I think that's where uh, the the direction has to be for Collingwood in 2017 onwards. Yeah, and I think we're seeing James Aish finally start to make mm. his mark. So that he's one of those users I think we're talking about. Um, obviously, Trelaw has, to me, in my mind, gone to another level this year as opposed to what he was at the Giants. Yep. There, yep. I thought he was very, very good. Not as dynamic as he's been this year. I thought he played a little bit safe at times at the Giants, and he was an accumulator that may not have been as damaging, whereas I feel this year he's been particularly damaging uh, at times, and I think he'll, he can only get better with a better and, and perhaps classier midfielder around him. Um, Pendlebury's been a bit off his game the last couple of weeks, so that's mm. probably, you know, and that was one of the reasons why the Tigers were able to beat them. But to be able to, you know, almost get a win with, with Pendlebury now. I mean, he's had 24 touches, but it was a pretty anonymous performance yeah. from him um, and by his certainly his standards. And, look, I think uh, Jeremy Howe is, you know, he's almost, if you wanted to build a, a halfback flanker, he is almost it. He's just, he's that t- that perfect rangy sort of type, if you like. Yeah. I mean, in a way, there's a bit of Eastern Wood about him. They're very similar builds. They love taking those grabs. And I would say that Eastern Wood's probably just a bit more uh, reliable by foot would be the main difference. Yeah, definitely. So we uh, we moved to the next game uh, of the day, which uh, of the weekend, sorry. And uh, I don't think anybody was expecting a game between the Brisbane Lions and Carlton Blues being played at the Gabba on a, a Saturday afternoon to be particularly exciting. <laughs> but uh, but in the end, um, the Blues putting together a really good fourth quarter, um, you know, helped by the fact that the Brisbane Lions don't actually know how to spell the word defense. Um <laughs> They, uh, they they did end up getting really close and the, the ball ended up being down their end of the ground at the end of the game. And um, yeah, I mean, the, I think the biggest takeaway out of this one is that um, the Lions now, I think they moved to four wins on the year, three wins on the year. Um, you would think that Justin Leppage is definitely going to now last the, the football year. He, mm-hmm. He's, he's going to see out the next couple of games and... Um, I mean, I, th- I think the thing with, with Brisbane that we're seeing is that they do know how to attack, but it's really their defense that um, that, that is the issue. And a lot of that does come down to coaching. Mm, yeah, it will. I mean, I just think it's uh, it's an amazing four-week stretch for, for the Lions. So they've put together two wins 
and in between. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. When that was a 94 point loss to Port and uh, what, 138 points <laughs> lost to Adelaide. Yeah. So it's certainly been a month for them. Um, and I think what it shows is that at least it does show that there is spirit in this group. And I, and I think we've even seen that in, you know, their, their first quarters have, I think, been okay on the whole. And they've often even been either up at quarter time or not far away from it. And then they really do drop away badly, yes, when it becomes all too hard for them and when that defence starts getting exposed, I guess. So I really do think that the spirit within the group, though, is not the issue. To, to come out like they did against the Blues and against Essendon when they had their chance... Um, yeah, so that to me is a positive. And um, I think from Carlton's perspective, you know, they're sort of thinking, you know, Levi's kicked four goals and sort of too little too late. He's had quite a poor year for mine, even though he has been injured. Um, like you see, close kick four for the Lions. I mean, whereas the Blues will see, see Jack Silvani. And, and, you know, what an impressive sort of six weeks he's put together to open up his uh, career. And, uh, you know, he looks like he's going to have a future as well. So I think as you may have tweeted and, and I saw it around, you know, the Blues have now lost 10 in a row. They're getting games into some more youngsters. They're getting close, close enough, but not getting those wins. So they're protecting their uh, position on the ladder in, in 15. Yeah. So it's, it's, been a, it's been a pretty good 10-week uh, patch. Absolutely, yeah. And that, that was my overriding thought is they've, they've been in probably every game that they've played. Uh, they've played a few of their younger guys. I mean, they're still um, certainly not a young side, as I, yeah. I wrote about around the, second, uh, around the middle of the year that – they're playing a lot of the the older guys still, and um, that's fine if they're they're trying to build the culture. Um, so yeah, going from six and six to six and fifteen, uh, with games um, against Essendon and somebody else. Hang on. Yeah, they got Melbourne this week, and then Essendon yeah. in the last round. So yeah, they'll get their win, which I yeah. think is good for them. So they'll end the year on a high. And uh, but as you say, it's from a an overall club perspective. I think that it's it's been a really really good season for them. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I think I've come around to the idea that um, you know they they needed to take a bit of a less harsh approach approach on the list, and they have found a couple in the the mature age guys, but uh, still certainly a long way to go. And their off season uh, will be will be very interesting. Mm. So I guess on Saturday we also saw the only no sorry one of the only two games of the round between two top eight sides. So we had uh, obviously Hawthorne get off to that flyer against North, mm-hmm. and which you know which I, I didn't see the game. I was at the uh, the races on, on Saturday, but I played golf this morning with a uh, with a mad Hawthorne bloke, and his version his view of it was that it was more North not turning up in the first quarter than anything that the Hawks did brilliantly, and then from there it was sort of you know North probably had the majority of the play in the second and third terms, and then Hawthorne was able to do enough to put the game away uh, in the last. Yeah, and that, that's, that was my overriding thought of this game as well, and I was kind of tuning in and out. Um, once the Hawks had, had gotten off to such a good start, it was kind of, you know, this is this is game over sort of territory. Um, they, yeah, they, they've, they're just doing enough, and that, that's been their, their play all year, is they're, they're doing enough. They're winning some close games. Now, that's that's obviously not necessarily skill it's mostly luck but they're, they're winning the close games they're putting away sides when sides give them the opportunity 
Um, and the, they led wire to wire. I don't think anybody was really expecting anything different in this game. And um, I think it, it really does show just how um, broken down and beaten up the the North Melbourne Football Club are and um, their, their next, well, their next probably four weeks. So two more games, a bye, and then our first week of finals are, you know, probably the, in my mind anyway, the last gasp of, of this team and um, then then next year and years onwards will be uh, will be really interesting. Mm. And I think, um, so from a Hawks perspective now, assuming that they're going to beat Collingwood in the last round, that they are all, all but locked into the top four, which is the, uh, I think, the main sort of thing for them. Yeah. It's just a matter of now, yeah, whether how they go against uh, West Coast. This yeah, week yeah, exactly. And whether they can hold that top spot. Yep, exactly right. So um, I, uh, well, I think we'll uh, we'll finish off with a, a bit of a prediction of where the next couple of rounds go because we've only got 18 games, so it's a little bit easier to do the predictions now mm. uh, compared to when you've got 36 or or so. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they're they're pretty they're pretty well locked in there now. Um, you'd expect them, I think, next week to come out firing against West Coast because it mm. does become quite a critical game for them. Um, and then yeah, I mean the way that Collingwood have been playing, wouldn't uh, wouldn't say it's not going to happen for for the pies, but you would think it's it's probably going to be a Hawthorne victory. Um, mm. Later later on in the day, we had um, probably one of the most exciting moments of the year in terms of finish to the game uh, at the, the Giants and West Coast. And I'm not saying that as a West Coast fan, or <laughs> maybe a little bit a uh, little bit coming into that. Um, yeah, West Coast really had no right to to be going out to Spotless Stadium and and beating the Giants. From my point of view, I. I Putting my pessimistic West Coast Eagles fan hat on, uh, thought this mm. was going to be a sort of forty to, to sixty point loss um, to to the Eagles because I've just essentially waved the white flag on this year. <laughs> I think they're yeah. then they're not up to it compared to the sides above them, but um, maybe they are. Do you think that this was a, a sign of a team that was under the pump and was setting itself for what looks like you know a, a really difficult three weeks heading into finals or um, was it more, I guess, the Giants uh, not not playing as well as as we might have thought that they would? Yeah, look, I think that you know the Giants probably you know, had control of this game. I mean, even though I, I know you know the Eagles sort of take their case forward from halfway through the second through to halfway through the third, and then but when you know when they give up the five goals in a row to the Giants late in the third quarter, you're sort of going, okay, well that's the ball game, and now is it you know how far the Giants? So it was it to me it was a, a a match between two very inconsistent teams. I think we saw that in the momentum flows, and mm. we've seen that with West Coast you know, in the past this year as well. That they've given up runs of goals, and we've also seen them out to kick it. And the Giants as well. Their last four to six weeks, I was really, I didn't know what to make of this game just because of that. They've really been um, very inconsistent. The Giants, and not, you know, I, I guess that the Richmond game was one that we think of, but outside of that, I'm not sure that they've been at their very best. And yeah, I just think that the Eagles, I guess, just hung around and hung around and, and didn't give up. And even when, you know, Rory Lobb kicks that goal, you're sort of then thinking, okay, well, the Eagles, you know, they're done now. And yeah. the fact that they weren't and they were able to build again. And and then, you know, all you can do is give yourself a chance. And they did that with 10 seconds to go. And just an amazing, amazing goal. And I think in this situation, in these close finishes, it's not as much about what, the team that wins does do, or like, for instance, in this instance, what Nick Nui did do. It's about what the opposition doesn't do because they've, they've got the, uh, the chance to stop 
whatever it is that's going to happen. It's much easier to stop something happening than it is to create it. Yep. And in this instance, I felt like it was Dylan Shield, who we know how quick he is on his feet. And he went in when the ball was at Nick Natanui's feet. Dylan Shield goes in and then he tries to not just grab the ball, but he tries to spin away as well and put those dancing feet to use. Yeah. By doing that, he didn't have control of the ball. Nick Nat grabs it, kicks the goal. Now, if he just goes in full barrel, gets tackled, I don't believe that because Nick Nat's right there, I'm just going to say that's not prior opportunity. Mm. Ball up, uh, and then there's the sirens. So to me, it was just uh, Dylan Shield in that situation, if it was Joel Selwood, if it was Paddy Dangerfield, if it was one of the, the more experienced, hardened gun players, I think they just get that ball and they put their body over it, and that's the ball game. What are your thoughts? Yeah, ab- absolutely, and I, I think it, it does take a, a special type of, uh, of big man to be able to get in and uh, mm. rove the ball like that. I mean, that, that's been one of Nat Nui's defining traits since he came Good. into the league. So um, I, I don't think, say, if it was Shane Mumford, if the shoe was on the other foot, yeah, he um, that play wouldn't have necessarily happened. So yep. um, so there's definitely that, but no, I oh, agree. Full credit you, to Nick, that, yeah. Yeah, when when you look at the replay, um, yeah, Shield, he's just, he's just got to snuff that ball, um, yep. and I, I, it does come down to instinct, I guess, a little bit there, where he, um, his mode nine times out of ten is to to get the ball and just shoot straight out outside, take those first three steps where he's yep. he's got the fastest three steps in the competition, yep. except perhaps for Dangerfield, um, but yeah, you, you've just got to you've just got to be it's, aware you've got to have your game sense, in the play. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's not, and that's where you're right. That is probably his instinct, but you've got to have gears. You know, you've got to be able to change it up. And uh, and I think, and I actually think Joel Selwood is probably a, a great example of someone who does have gears. You know, we know he knows when it's time to just throw his body at, at like a wrecking ball, but we also know he knows when it's time to run away and so on. But um, yeah, look, and look, I, I know there's a lot of. Nicknap fans out there. There's a lot of detractors though, and, and I, mm-hmm. I am firmly in the fan group. I love him, and I, I just love seeing him have that moment. Um, and you know, and and the fact that you know he's often spoken about that he doesn't do enough around the ground, doesn't get enough uh, touches or whatever. But you know, 16 touches, two goals, including the uh, the match winner. You know, to go with his 45 hitouts, uh, very very happy for Nicknap. Yeah, and I think that's one of those issues where uh, the narrative hasn't kept up with reality. Um, mm. This year, he's he's winning, I think it's 11 contested possessions per game. Um, yeah. Well, his and, contested possession rate would always be high, won't it? Yeah, but I, I think he, even even still, he'd only been sort of six, seven, eight okay. throughout his career. Um, so he, he's lifted that up, and obviously yep. that's an average. So he does have some games where he's he's significantly above that. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's it's just another one of those things where, the, like I say, the... Perception hasn't kept up with reality, and um, I think this year on the AFL player ratings that Champion Data pulled together, he's mm-hmm. snuck himself into the top ten. So, um, yeah, he, he's having a really good year, and that that solitary play, that last eight seconds, essentially destroyed um, everybody's predictions for what the the final eight would look like. Um, yeah. So, so we were thinking before this game that that West Coast would finish in seventh quite comfortably travel over to Eddie had stadium in the first week of finals and the Bulldogs <laughs> would just, you know, put their, put their, uh, their armor on and Stand from them. yeah. But, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, the Eagles got close. So last time, I, you know, admittedly kicking a lot of goals late and that's another example of what we're talking about, but you know, the, the Eagles did push them to, you know, a goal or two earlier in the year. And I think even though I know this bloody, you know, they get on a plane and they become different, uh, a different team, but I really think that Eddie 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Spread the word. The JCPenney Friends and Family Sale is back. And this week, we're passing the savings on to you. Use your extra 30% off coupon to prep your home and style your family for Easter. That's extra savings on top of our great low prices. Plus, share your coupon with everyone you know and love. It's always better when we save together. JCPenney. Make everybody count. Offer valid 311 through 317. Exclusions apply. See store or jcp.com for details. Have with San Diego, so if they do still have to go there in the in the finals, I, I'd give them a huge chance. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And then um, by the the Giants losing, they've obviously now they're sitting on fifty six mm. premiership points rather than sixty. So um, they would have been in the top four after the end of this round. Yeah. Um, and then the same with the I guess the Cats and Richmond game. Um, well, yeah, the Cats uh, were about to hand the Giants back that advantage, weren't yeah, they? Yeah, they exactly. Um, so it just shows, I think, this year how uh, how fine a point. Um, everything comes down to. Mm. And and so now it really means that the Giants face an uphill battle. What they really need is um, Geelong, Adelaide or Sydney to, to slip up and lose one of their last couple of games and then they can sneak back into the top four. Um, they, they should still account for West Coast, um, even if West Coast don't manage to get over the Hawks and the Giants somehow mm. lose another game because of percentage. So um, it does now look like, uh, barring some... Remarkable change of fortune from uh, either the West Coast Eagles, whether they beat Hawthorne or Adelaide in the the last couple of rounds, or both of them, um, or say Geelong do drop a game to Melbourne uh, in the last round, or, or something of that ilk. Um, this this does look like the order. I think um, I'm I'm pretty confident in asserting that. Although I was pretty confident asserting that the order was there a couple of weeks ago as well. So you yeah, never know but, what these things. No, but clearly the closer we get to the end, uh, the less uh, room there is for variables. So it, you would probably back that in. Um, and, and speaking of, I guess, the top four, and, and Sydney you know, really put down an emphatic performance against the Saints, particularly in that third quarter and, and the whole second half. But Yeah, yeah, it was really a game built on the second half, I think. Mm. Um, I mean, St Kilda have, have emerged as this um, ultra-pressure that, that you, you just can't, have any space on them at all when yep. they're on and um it really did cram sydney up sydney this year want to want to play really wide open and and use handball and run and get the ball on the outside and st kilda really just didn't let them do that and i thought it was a real credit to the way that st kilda have played but um in the end sydney have just got too many good players and the saints probably are a little bit short on that front and yeah 70 points in the end yeah i thought uh, it was Really, I mean, watching that first quarter, I don't know if footy can get played any faster than that. Mm. Um, and I just remember thinking at the 20-minute mark that these guys are out on their feet already, yeah. you know, like 20 minutes into the first quarter, and you can almost see the Saints players, their eyes bulging out of their head, like thinking, you know, I've still, still got another three quarters of this. Yeah. Um, and obviously the Swans are a lot more hardened in that area. So that to me, where it didn't surprise me, you know, looking back on it, it's not as if I was sitting there at 20 minutes. Swans didn't blow this away late, but it really it was just so noticeable that how fast the game had been played, and it just was clearly unsustainable. Yet 
was it was unsustainable for the Saints. The, the Swans went on with it, and I thought it was interesting, given that how much pressure there was. It's, it's quite rare that both sides were almost level in terms of you know kicks to handballs that that ratio, which is yep. not something that you see a lot. No. So um, yeah, you know the Swans had two hundred and thirty six kicks through twenty three handballs, so you know obviously very close. And uh, St Kilda was almost neck and neck. Now the Swans ended up having a hundred more disposals. Because yeah. Of that second half dominance, but. I think it did speak to the level of pressure that, that did get applied. And obviously, the more pressure that there is on, that you tend to get more handballs as uh, teams start to try to uh, create the loose man uh, out the back. So, yeah, I, I don't think the Saints, I just think they couldn't go with them in the end. I, I didn't lose you know, any admiration for them by getting done by such a margin. No. And I still think that they're right on track. And, and we put finals as a, as a pass or fail for them next year. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it. it... It's a huge cliche, and we try to avoid the cliches on this podcast and indeed on the on the website. But it was a tale of two halves. Um, yep. You you have a look at the first half. Um, St Kilda were, I think, they were three behind. I'm just doing the maths in my head now um, on disposals. Um, whereas in the second half, they were down uh, by whatever the remainder was, yeah. uh, you know, 92. So um, yeah, just didn't go with them in the end. And I think um, in the end, it, it looks like uh, the the injury to Sam Fisher was pretty critical mm. because it meant that Lance Franklin pulled together just a incredible third quarter where he had 15 disposals, three goals, <laughs> um, something, something like that, just, just ridiculous. And um, even though, you know, a number of the Sydney midfielders had pushing 40 disposals, um, yep. Franklin will definitely get the Brownlow votes here with 27 and, and six goals, uh, just an incredible performance. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, when it comes to, we talk about the dogs, you know, lobbying for an Eddie Head final or, you know, I know they've lobbied for MCG and they don't care where they play and everything, but clearly they would want to play Eddie Head. But mm. I reckon if Sydney uh, win a home final, uh, Buddy Franklin would be saying, uh, can we actually head down to Eddie Head and play it? Yeah. Um, yeah, because he just, I mean, that fast track there, and, and it could sort of well. And, you know, we'd be, uh, we should also mention that this back line, well, I know, uh, literally, you know, he keeps getting wrapped up, but he really is. I mean, it's just it's just incredible to think that he's only played six or seven games. But I, yep. I think what was happening, like last year, he got named in the emergencies a lot. I remember seeing that, you know, he was getting named. Now, I don't know how many times it was, but say it was 10 or 12 times. So it's not as if he's come from nowhere this yeah. year. He has clearly been in the around the mark, and he just couldn't squeeze out Richards and Grundy, and, and clearly not Rampy, and, and so on. And those guys are normally so durable as well. So whereas this year Richards has finally started succumbing to some uh, some injuries, and then a little bit of form and age, and uh, and Alira Alira has taken over that spot, and just he just looks a natural back there. Yeah, and I, I got myself into a little bit of trouble a few weeks ago comparing him to Jacob Wiedering and saying he was uh, potentially a better prospect. So uh, that. Uh, <laughs> You know, Carlton fans don't like me at the best of times, so that no. was that was an interesting half an hour or so. Um, yeah. But yeah, he he's been on the list for three or four years, I believe. Um, so came through, uh, may have been the rookie list. I'm I'm talking off the top of my head here, but he's been around the place. He'd been in the knee full, um, and yeah, I think it it's a testament to the way that Sydney have just built this culture of you only get a spot if you deserve the spot, and um, it means these guys can come in and just play a role. Um, you know, straight away. Uh, and he's, he's 20, 21, 22. Yeah, so he's uh, but, 21 and he was, he was taking the 2013 uh, national draft, actually, pick right. 44. So okay. not, not just a rookie list or, you know, pick 70 or something. Yeah, so obviously right. uh, they've thought he had some ability. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, no, he's uh, he's come along really well and um, you can see him holding down a spot for, for quite some time now. And, 
yeah, it's uh, just another one of those things where uh, you're a, you're a good side like Sydney, and you just you just continue to to find these players and develop, develop them and stick them in, and they just look like naturals. And maybe you know, and maybe they may have seen a lira lira as a, a bit of a um, you know mining for gold a little bit, like mm, respecting yep. to some yep. extent. And a Sydney, a club like Sydney, with such confidence in their in their development and their tools, and maybe also. You know, knowing that they're going to be bringing in uh, Heaney and Mills in the next couple of years, they can afford to take a few chances on players like this. So, yep. in a way, it may contribute to the sort of uh, vicious circle, I guess, that continually sees them regenerate and stay up there while uh, a lot of the other clubs uh, perhaps need to play it safe uh, yep. you know, during uh, the draft time. And then you know, that may, in some ways, stunt their growth a little bit. Absolutely, yeah. No, it's uh, c- completely agree. And then the other Saturday night game, uh, look, I think the less said about Port Adelaide and their season, probably the better at this point. Um, it just seems to be that the wheels are falling off and now Chad Wingard's out for the rest of the year. And um, yeah, I, I just don't see where this side goes. And I think they, they've they got a number of tough questions to ask over the off-season. Um, I think I, uh, I remarked last night that um, they, they may have been drinking or not drinking, they may have been reading a bit of their own press and yep. um, thinking they're a little bit more advanced than they were. And um, I don't think either of us had them in the eight this year coming into the year. And that was mm. a little bit of a contrarian take, but um, I think we've been well justified with, uh, yeah, potentially finishing close to the bottom six, if not in the bottom six. Yeah. I mean, I copped a, a caning uh, on the raw when I put them at 14th in my uh, yearly uh, preview I, that I sort of do at the start of the year. And um and let's face it, they have played some football this year that wouldn't even, you know, be up to 14th standard. Mm, yeah, you know, they've played a, you know, a lot of 15th, 16th, 17th type footy. And yeah, you know, it's funny. I follow a lot of Melbourne supporters on Twitter. It's just sort of turned out that way, and uh, I know a few. And like, it's funny that they're now getting to the point. Like, some of them were filthy with a 40-point win interstate uh, at yeah. Late Oval, and, <laughs> and that, that's how bad Port were. They're yeah, something. That, yeah. Uh, yeah, they were filthy. So. Yep. That's uh, look, which is also a good sign for Melbourne supporters. I think their mm. expectations are growing, um, which is a which is a good thing. Then normally what happens, and I know you know Richmond and Melbourne supporters feel we have a lot in common, given what we've all been through over the yep. last sort of decade. And uh, I'll let you all know now that generally feelings of hope and expectation and a bright future they get punctured very quickly, Demon fans. So <laughs> uh, yeah, now hopefully it doesn't happen for you. But, um, yeah, no, they've got every reason to go into this off-season feeling uh, confident. And, yeah, as, as we say, they still may give uh, give eight the shake. They'll go down to Geelong with absolutely nothing to lose in yeah. round 22, uh, assuming they can win this week. Well, they've got Carlton or someone like that. Yeah, they? yeah, they've got Carlton. So they just need to hope that Carlton don't park the bus and they're able yep. to, to boost their percentage a little bit and then just go down to Geelong. And um, Geelong could be locked into third or fourth at that point in time yeah, and maybe true. not have a lot to play for. And, um, you know, the conditions are there. And um, we talk about fairy tales and Jack Rewalt today, potentially having a fairy tale moment that didn't quite eventuate. But um, can you imagine, I guess, the end of the Paul Roos era? Well, it wouldn't be the end. They'd be extended for another week. But going down to Geelong where um, the game where they lost by 187 points a few years ago and, um, what a, an exclamation mark on the Paul Roos era to be able to go back down there, even though they've they've already won there again. But um, to to win and get into into September, it would just be yeah, phenomenal. And I think uh, it's probably also worth mentioning, you know, beating Hawthorne last week uh, without Jesse Hogan. Mm-hmm. Jesse Hogan really didn't do anything on 
Saturday night and they've had another big win. So mm. that's a it's a really pleasing aspect for them. They're finding go- their goal kickers from separate areas. And I think also they're, they're getting now a lot of even contributors as well, which yep. is the main thing. It used to be Nathan Jones or Bust, as we know. Tom Tyson, who I've always had a lot of time for. I'm really pleased to see him fulfilling his potential. Um, yeah, and then we're seeing you know, Oliver, obviously a first-year player and so on. And, and they, they're getting you know, a lot of uh, these young guys coming through. Brayshaw, I'm a huge fan of. So, yeah, no, uh, the future is uh, very, very bright for the Ds. And mm. uh, we move on to today uh, with uh, Essendon and the Gold Coast. So I didn't see a single bit of this game, uh, being at the G as I was and, uh, and entertaining the kids beforehand. So... Did you get to have a look at it? And what, no, uh, what not a not a great deal, unfortunately. Um, it, it looks like one of those games, um, just sort of watching from afar, that um, really the Suns didn't take advantage of their opportunities, um, and the Dons, as has been their way, they've they've played you know a couple of good ten minute patches, and the the way that the Suns have defended this year has not been particularly good on a on a play by play basis. So the Dons being able to uh, I guess starting at the the midway point of the third quarter, kick six mm. unanswered goals, and um, that was enough in the end. Yeah, that was the ball game. So no, it's good for them. And I think you know, I, I was probably one of a few who thought that Essendon would sort of win two to three games. So I guess that sort of justifies that type of thinking. And they've obviously gone close to a couple of others yeah. as well. You know, a couple of you know losses by under a couple of goals. So I think that's a fair result. And now, and yeah, the thing that always has to be remembered is that the psychological factor that is at play. And I think it, it was also at play in, in the Gold Coast and Giants' first uh, couple of years that whenever they would get close to teams, it was more the fact that these teams weren't taking it seriously. Mm. Um, and, you know, and, and playing any sort of sport and you're, if you're rocked up, expected to win by, by a big margin, the fact is you're not as intense, you're, you're not concentrating as much. So now whether that um, had anything to do with the, the Suns or whether they just got ahead of themselves a little bit, we saw mm. this before, you know, with um, Carlton put together this, that really good patch against uh, the Hawks. They pushed Sydney. Uh, I think there was another uh, close one. It was sort of three in a row against three really good sides. Mm. And then they were expected to put up a fight, you know, against St Kilda, and then bang, it just all fell away for them. And and the Suns have been in really solid form the last two months. You know, they've, they've, it's been a really good block for them. And then finally, they you know, they get this game that they just really, really should win, and uh, and, yeah. and they just fell off mentally. Yep, and it, it does feel a little bit like two steps forward, two steps back for mm. the Suns. I mean, they're, they're probably going to end up in around about the same position they were last year. Yep. That, they just need to do whatever it takes to keep uh, Jaeger O'Meara and Dion Prestia. And uh, just, uh, it would be a, a shame that the first story of the Gold Coast Suns is one of, of what-ifs. Um, mm. And if uh, if they're not able to keep those guys, I mean, that's that would be Charlie Dixon, Harley Bunnell, uh, Jaeger O'Meara and Dion Prestia not all playing in the same team as the team is kind of fit and firing. Um, would be a real shame, but um, moving on from that game now, we, we talked about Richmond Geelong earlier in the podcast. Um, Adelaide Fremantle, look, I don't think there's a lot to read into this one. Yeah. Um, 72 points, probably should have been significantly more. Fremantle have kicked 11 goals <laughs> for. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. and, uh, and the Crows have kicked 21-16, so 37 scoring shots to 17. You, yeah. you know, a typical Adelaide side that, that has that much territory and possession would be expecting to kick, yeah, probably a 100-point margin there. So uh, they, <laughs> they've done what they needed to do. They, yeah, they'll yeah, be happy. Improved their percentage, um, got the win, got out of it unscathed. So I don't think there's a, a great deal more to read into that one. 
Yeah, and, and we know that the Crows have obviously had you know about as easy as three weeks as you can get. Yet they put every side to the sword. Now you know it's it's I guess it's what a position to be in when you're sort of having a, a disappointing seventy point win. So I think um, and they've now done enough that their difference in percentage uh, ahead of their seven percent ahead of Geelong now. Uh, or eight percent, actually eight and a half, and they're uh, they're six percent ahead of uh, GWS and a game. So it sort of really does shore them up uh, from that perspective now. So yeah, you, you would say if we figure that the Hawks, um, yeah, I mean it all comes down to the Hawks, Hawks West Coast, and whether West Coast do they now derive great belief and do they recapture that mojo from last year that they can now take into the rest of the season. And if they can upset Hawthorne, then all of a sudden uh, they become a, a much more of a, a serious player. Yeah, exactly. And if they do manage to, to beat the Hawks, then um, you would think we've got a top two of, of Sydney and Adelaide. And um, I don't think... I think I had Sydney in eight spot this year mm. on the on account of the youth, and I had Adelaide out for some unknown reason. Um, I, I think I wrote about the Crows in round one and um, kind of put, yeah. uh, put that thought to the sword. And... Um, that would be a really interesting final series because those two are sides that that play really well at their home grounds, and um, you'd have a you know a chasing pack made up of um, some some really good sides as well. Yep. No, I think we're in for a good one. So we've yeah. got some uh, some Twitter. We put out a tweet asking for some questions and observations, and so the first one is from Kareeming, who says, after seven years in charge, should Damien Harwick have developed a plan B when teams get a run on? And uh, we've also got one from Tim G saying, seven years to refine Harwick's plan B. Uh, different players, but the same outcome. Um, yeah, so look, this is, has been an issue, and it's been an issue since 2013 when uh, Richmond in round one uh, beat Carlton by a goal or so after being up by five or six goals, and uh, they just couldn't stop Carlton's run in the last quarter. Uh, it happened again later in that year. They got five goals up against Carlton, and then Carlton came back and won in about round 19 or so. And then we saw in the elimination final. Carlton, uh, Richmond got up by five or six goals, Carlton got the run on. And it actually it happened a, a couple of times in that year as well. Uh, it happened probably four or five times in other matches. Now, some of them Richmond won, uh, one or two of them they lost. So and what it was, it, it felt like that the players themselves, or I think what I'm assuming was coached, that even when they were up and with momentum, they started to play safe. And when you do that, you get conservative, and that then gives the opposition a chance. They sneak in for a bit of a kill. They kick a goal. They kick another one. And then all of a sudden, they've got momentum. So, And ever since then, I think that uh, Richmond has been – you know, obviously played more of an attacking game style in 2013, very free-flowing. And since then, they've coached to be a possession team, a, a very conservative, ball-moving team. And this is, I think, the end result of what you get. So that's about how I, I can uh, can sum it up. I think it was a, a, an egregious uh, coaching error by Hardwick to change tack rather than just coaching balance and making the most of your momentum and then trying to get your players to mature in order of, uh, to prevent these run-ons. I've uh, I've got nothing to add to that. That was that was excellent. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, okay, so we've also got Wayne Bristow. Uh, he has said Lance's third quarter. Discuss. Yeah. And uh, uh, yeah, I think we sort of did touch on that a bit earlier, didn't we? Yeah, planet planet destroying sort of stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, he. I mean, it was a tight game up to that point, and um, he just just did what he does. Um, what, I mean, what he did for the first half of this year, when, when I thought he was a, a chance for the Brownlow. Um, mm. Just just yeah. Uh, a one-man offense and 
the I mean the things that that he's able to do and he he just sucks defenders away from the rest of the side and um I mean I, I wrote about Sydney last week and how um they they kind of had to remake their identity and that that they've now emerged from the other side of that uh, and mm. when I say had to remake their identity I mean they made the choice to go after Kurt Tippett and Lance Franklin and yep. retain all of their A grade midfielders so um it meant that they had to find players from other sources so yep. young players rookie list um and Tom Papley is a pretty perfect example George yeah. Hewitt yeah. Exactly. So guys that, um, you know, in a in another forward line where they probably have, you know, a, a tougher assignment on them, um, the fact that Lance Franklin automatically commands a double team, it means these guys have got an easier time of it. So, um, yeah, just a, another another um, another piece of evidence in the the book that Lance Franklin is clearly the best offensive player in the league. So speaking of the Swans, do we know now that they're looking like it's they're going to get a home final and potentially two, or well, definitely uh, two if they finish uh, top two? Um, do we know where their home finals are being played? Is it going to be the SCG or is it going to be the Cow Paddock? <laughs> um, so it's it's not one hundred percent clear because the AFL um, own and, and run and manage the final series, and they still have the contract with ANZ Stadium. So they didn't exit that contract at the time that the Sydney Swans did, um, which means that I would think it's likely that um, the Swans would be playing out at ANZ Stadium. Now, don't, don't certainly quote me on yeah. that, but but that's my understanding. Um, this is a disgrace. There is not one neutral person who wants the game to be played there. There is not one Sydney person that wants the game to be played there. I mean, pathetic. Yeah, pathetic and disgraceful. I'm just disgusted. Like, yeah. pay whatever they have to pay the AFL to just get this game at SCG. Give it to the people. Exactly. No, I think uh, I I totally agree. And there there was going to be um, and and well, fortunately, in some ways, it's not going to arise now. But if the Giants ended up hosting a final in uh the first week of finals and it was against Sydney, uh, it was likely going to be at ANZ Stadium. But it doesn't look like that situation is now going to arise. Um, I think that the AFL had remarked that the only team that would that the Giants would play at ANZ would be Sydney, and that would just be because they would think that um, Spotless wouldn't hold enough people um, to yeah. to meet demand. So, um, but yeah, it 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 if they do end up playing out at ANZ Stadium, it it's either going to be the last time or one of the last times that that happens. Yeah, okay. Well, we can all uh, put uh, a sorry chapter in the AFL's history behind us when that day comes. And I think uh, we should throw parties in the streets because <laughs> it is just not good for football. It doesn't produce attractive games. It doesn't produce good footy. No. Um, the players hate it. The fans hate it. It's just all round bad. Absolutely. Um, so I think we've uh, gone a little bit over time there, but uh, certainly a lot to talk about in a weekend where there was five games decided by less than a goal, which um, I've had... I've seen a few people digging through the record books and I think it's the first time that it has happened. So that's uh, wow. that's pretty awesome. And um, so lots to talk about. There'll be lots to talk about throughout this week. We'll be back either Wednesday or Friday, depending on who we can get on deck. Um, yep. This has been the Raw AFL Podcast. My name is Ryan Buckland. I've been with Cameron Rose. And uh, we'll talk to you later in the week. Thanks for listening to us and girls. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? 
I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.